0: Hi, Becky. Becky is Jen's mom. And so uh, I invited Jen. Jen is one of our uh, teachers on staff. Um, and I invited her to today because we had that wonderful discussion. Uh, I think it was uh, initiated by Francesca, maybe, um, about the challenges of um, developing a Dhamma practice while still practicing something that might at times seem um, uh in contradiction or in conflict with what the Buddha's teaching or what the Buddha's teaching is in conflict with uh, your own practice, such as a yoga practice. Um, And I I think you'll hear from Jen how they they can complement each other, but also how to overcome those challenges, because Jen certainly had to go through that. And I also know that there's a few other people here that have gone through that same thing. This is a, a rather common theme to most people, almost everyone today that might come across the Dhamma the way the Buddha teaches it, the way I teach it, uh, has some type of so-called spiritual practice, and I use that term loosely, um, which can often come in conflict with what the Buddha teaches. But it doesn't mean, uh, practicing the Dhamma doesn't mean we have to give up everything, every other aspect of our lives. In fact, if we keep and maintain right view and the rest of the Eightfold Path, the Eightfold Path will complement nearly any other practice, as long as that practice isn't hurtful or harmful to yourself or others, and I mean, uh, if you're a compulsive gambler or, or an alcoholic like I used to be, um, you probably want to give those practices up. But wholesome practices um, can only be that as long as you're maintaining right view, and I guess that's the challenge. And, and uh, so I want to give Jen um, uh, some time to be before we begin our class uh, to talk about that, uh, but also understand if if the discussion. Um, continues, and we and it seems like this is something that we want to talk about today. We'll simply put the, the, my talk on the virtuous factors in our discussion off till next week, so there's no time constraints on uh, on w- what we're going to do today as as far as uh, this issue. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining us and uh, and giving us your time and your uh, your profound understanding. Thank
1: you for asking me, John, and I've been really, really wanting to to come in and and meet everybody and see everybody. Um, And I'm so excited that John asked me because it just gave me a reason to let myself, give myself permission to take a half day from work and come in and and be a part of this. And hopefully um, in the summer when I'm not teaching, I'll be able to to pop in every week. So I'm I'm just excited to meet all of you guys. Um, And, you know, I, I kind of I listened to your, your your guys's conversation. You know, John put up the recording, so I listened to that conversation today, and um, I listened to it because when John asked me to, to come and talk, I it, I just wanted like a little more context about exactly like what was coming up for you guys, and um, and I'm I was almost after listening to it, I was almost like reluctant to even really make relate it to sort of being able to reconcile yoga and, and, and the Dhamma, because I was hearing from everybody in here that you all were kind of sort of having the same issue and frustration with, with just, um, recognizing clinging in your own minds. And so, and also, you know, you may have those of you who were feeling, you know, maybe a little angsty last week, you may have recognized over the past week that that those views and ideas have sort of morphed and changed and you know now maybe the the angst is is a little different feels different looks different has a different name or face on it and you know so so i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about those specific issues really just looking at um the fact that you are coming up against stuff you're resisting the, this this practice and you're noticing that you're resisting mm. you're noticing that you're coming up against con- conflict, you're coming up against your own views about the world and your life and you're seeing that because you've been introduced to these noble truths that have that, that is speaking to you, you know? And, and it's getting through to you to and getting through your conditioning. And I just wanna like pause for a second and underscore that, you know, well done, bravo. You guys have, you're seeing that clinging that's going on in your minds. And so, right. you know, um, Francisca's excellent example of yoga and how I, I heard, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I heard you say um, something along the lines of, you know, why have I been doing yoga all this time? And I've just I'm full, like ang- angry and mad that, that you are seeing, you know, uh, you're, you're kind of comparing the Dhamma and the yoga and seeing sort of inconsistencies and that's bringing you that's making you mad, um, that is just resistance to your own conditioning. And mm. to sp- I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to kind of figure that out. And I think it's another great example was Vicky's example with work and projects, having projects at work mm. and feeling like noticing that those, you know, those are in your head and you're thinking about it a lot and and you're identifying with it and, Oh, I need to like it. it." And then your mind automatically turns that recognition of clinging. You're seeing that you're clinging and then it's turning into rather than renouncing clinging in my mind, I'm renouncing everything that I do. And so you're making a huge leap there that is unnecessary and that's causing you angst. That's causing you stress. So you're, you're seeing that you're clinging to your yoga practice and then you're telling yourself your mind automatically takes it to now I have to renounce yoga, yeah. but that's not the teaching. That's right. The teaching is renounce clinging. So, the, the right intention, which you guys recently discussed in, in John's chapter about right intention, he says, hold in mind the intention to renounce craving and clinging. You guys are doing that. And you're seeing the craving and clinging. You don't have to renounce what you're clinging to. You just have to renounce clinging. And if that's Beautiful. not totally making sense, now you can maybe start to see where the work is. So it's that I have to renounce yoga, so I have to renounce identifying with yoga. I have to renounce meaning yoga has to be a certain way. My practice has to be a specific
0: way. Jen, if I could just interrupt, and that's true about anything that we might self-identify with. Yes. So it, with the point that Jen is making, and again, I'm sorry to interrupt you, is that there's nothing wrong with yoga or tai chi or anything else, except that we create identities over them and then we cling to the identity. Thank you, Jen.
1: Yeah, and it's the same thing with, with what Vicky was saying with her projects, and there was something Tom was saying too. Oh, you were feeling frustrated with um kind of feeling isolated and just generally Buddhist practice, other practices, being frustrated with those practices. That's all just starting to see what you're identifying with. And so reel it in, you know, just notice that you're experiencing resistance and just let it be that there's nothing that you need to figure out here. There's nothing that you need to like sort out, you know, it's just, wow, I'm resisting. I'm, I'm, I'm conflicted right now, or I'm resisting this, or I'm, you know, feeling like I need to renounce things that I enjoy, that I like, that I have defined as nourishing. And, and I think that's where some of the angst is coming in. The other thing that I wanted to say was that. So there's a, there's a famous saying and it's, It's along the lines of don't use Buddhism to be a better Buddhist. Use it to be a better whatever you already are. So, John has said this a few times you you don't have to not do things, you just have to not identify with things. And you don't have to only practice the Dhamma. just have to practice Dhamma in a very specific dogmatic way when that is what you're doing so you can't do yoga or you know or take your dog for a walk or garden and call that meditation I mean you can but it's not going to help you and that's going to cause more suffering so it would be it would be it would not be compassionate for for me to say that, for John to say that, for the Buddha to say that—it's you can't substitute, but it doesn't mean you can't do. You just, yeah,
0: that's all I got. I think uh, that's all. <laughs> Jen, that really was outstanding. Uh, you mentioned uh, conditioned mind. In this case, another another word for that would would be uh, a vested interest, and we do that with anything, no matter what what it is we do. If we put a little time and energy in it. In it we have a vested interest in maintaining that identity that we created to just through that, through that particular action that we might get to. Uh, that was really excellent. I'd like to, um, and again, if we don't have a class on the virtuous factors today, I hope it's okay that we uh, just put it off for one week, because I think this is important. Uh, I, I'm going to, because I promised Karen I wouldn't call on her first. I'm going to ask more if she has anything she'd like to add to this, because I know she's had similar experiences. you I I was
2: just auditing.
0: Okay. <laughs> no, no, that's no, alright. Um uh I, I
2: I don't know that I have anything profound to add because I think that it always comes back to precisely what was just said. It's a renunciation of clinging, and through, I mean, clinging is what, clinging to a delusional identification with an ego personality is just the root of all our suffering, period. It's nothing more complicated, and there's probably nothing more difficult it might than to continue to view with compassion, all those dependent links um, that in any moment in time create further stress. And then as John has said, as the Buddha said, it's a preoccupation with that stress that causes (laughs) more stress um, and further suffering. So um, easier said than done but absolutely doable Mm -hmm. and i think it is the practice of a lifetime and so what jen said about looking it will these views and what what is truly what suffering is always the question right you know so yes i practice um I think what I was hearing though, like, I mean, I, I, John and I used to always have this discussion about bowling versus yoga and all those stuff, you know, but, um, so yes, I engage in a lot of things for my well um, and over time, and I continue to enjoy those practices, whether it's walking the dog, whether it's doing yoga or Tai Chi or, um, cooking, you know, and even cooking, like, can be like a huge, it's all kinds. I mean, it's just all clinging to some version and solidifying a self. And that self is going to suffer, and it's going to come into conflict. The ego identification will come into conflict in the world. Because then we have to identify with that view. I'm a compassionate person. I'm a yogi. I'm a good cook. I'm the best OT, you know, all these things. Um, Uh, I, I'm never mean, you know, and on and on and on, they just, so they're just these opportunities to continue really to identify with, um, the, uh, for me, I really work on the gates of impermanence and just continuing to let that wash, um, over watching thoughts and feelings, um, arise and pass away, knowing when I can feel tension in the back of the neck, I had thoughts in my um, on my sitting practice today, just a, a situation that came up yesterday. And it really was about clinging to um, a self that needed something. Mm. And when that didn't happen, um, all kinds of trouble <laughs> began. And, you know, I created harm. And I was like, oh, you know, if I could have just been, it doesn't matter. It's not self-recrimination, but it's, I just, I just offered a lot of love at that moment in time, just let it go. Yeah. You know, washing it over. So I, I'm not being very clear, but I think I feel very free to engage in a lot of different activities and really enjoy them. And some of them have fallen away. But I think the harder part is when I've attached myself to a philosophy and I begin to see, even in my own profession, that I'm continuing to say something that I don't really believe in. Mm. And that's, I think, a journey of compassion and letting go and grief sometimes as that happens. Um, but there's a real, uh, liberation. And then uh, honestly, I feel like I can be more clear headed about hearing other people and also deciding where to focus my interests, uh, my my attention, not my interest, my attention. So, yeah, nothing profound,
0: just good old human stuff. Very profound, Moira. Thank you for your contribution. You you used the word preoccupation. Uh, I don't know uh, if this particular group has heard me say this, but it would have been nearly as accurate for the Buddha to describe the first noble truth as preoccupation as that there is dukkha, because it is the preoccupation with dukkha, with not getting what we want, getting afraid of getting what we don't want. That is the way we cling to a fabricated self. So, and as we become preoccupied with the things that we've created, such as I'm, I'm the greatest yoga practitioner, um, we're stuck in that. And the stress that arises from the conflict of, of developing something like the Dhamma then becomes the object. It's, it's So, it's not the, the Dhamma that we're developing gently. It's the resistance that's arising within us that becomes the problem. And Jen, I think Jen explained that a lot better than I just did. Uh, So uh, I want to ask, Karen, and again, I know I'm drawing you out. And if you, no comment is fine today, but I'd like to hear if if you have anything you'd like to add to this.
3: Hello.
0: And Karen, Karen is a yoga teacher.
3: I'm a yoga teacher, but it's funny because I don't, I don't identify as myself as a yoga teacher. I, I practice and and teach classes, but I don't, um, it's not something that I attach to in that way. I don't know. Um, but if we're talking about the differences between what we're learning here with drawn and, and what you may have studied as a yoga teacher, I think, um, in both areas, well, I think in the yoga realm where we're learning to become self-aware and to, uh, practice or learn how to, um, work along the lines of what I call the 10 commandments, you know, the yamas and the yamas, it's really codes of conduct, right? Like we have mm. in the eightfold path. But the difference is, is that in yoga, I think what we're trying to do is become a better person <laughs> so that we can be of service to others in that way. Whereas in the Buddha, in what John's teaching, it's uh, something completely different. I mean, there is no self per se, except the self that we identify with, of the self that we, we, uh, our oh, ego personality. So I don't know. Maybe that's just a little bit too confusing because I'm starting to get myself confused. But I think it's very easy. It's very possible to practice both and to be comfortable in both and to learn from both. Um, so no, well, that's pretty much all I have to say right on the subject right now.
0: Thank you so much, Karen. The uh, the 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 Buddha teaches ultimately the, the, the resolution of the Buddha's Dhamma is to simply not to take anything personal that arises in life, including whatever practices we might have, whether we're yoga practitioners or we go bowling on Thursday night, um, whatever it might be, we don't take it personal. And that's where our, our ultimate freedom and, and actually ultimate full human maturity resides in not taking anything personal. And in that way, there's great liberation and freedom. We just, we're, we're going through the, um, the uh, moral and ethical factors of the Eightfold Path right now. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. And w- what that tells us is that in, no matter what arises, we practice right speech, right action, and right livelihood because we're not taking anything personal. And that frees us to do anything that I would, the only qualification I would put on doing anything is anything that is, that is harmless to ourselves and others. And certainly a yoga practice is like that, but so is going bowling on Thursday night. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing yoga by saying it's the same as bowling on Thursday night, it's just simply another activity. If somebody asked me, what, what do you think I should do? Should I go bowling on Thursday night or go to my yoga class? I'd probably say, Go to your yoga class <laughs> because it's just it's a little bit healthier. Uh, but but that's the only distinction. Um, it's gotten a little bit too late to to, to go through the virtuous factors again. On ho- again, I hope everybody's okay with that. Um, I, I think this is an important discussion, uh, and I, so I'd like to ask uh, Francesca if this if, if you find this helpful.
4: Um, yes, thank you, everybody, for for talking on that topic. Um, Yeah, actually, it it resonated a lot with me. It's a bit difficult sometimes for me to put the words in English words that I want to say, but I try. That's fine. Um, Yeah, I had the thoughts that um, while all these practices were um, developing, like in the history, there is this game, you know, this game for children where you whisper something in someone's ear and then he passes it on to the next one and until the next one at the end, it's something completely different that comes out. And I think spiritual practices might have developed like this, you know, there was an original teaching which is very hard to understand and people try to put it into words, which is really difficult. And um, in the end, people invented invented, a lot of crazy stuff, and it became something mystical, or uh, religions came out of that, and um, so the the point of it all got a little bit lost, and people um, started to believe in something instead of experiencing something yeah. themselves,
5: yeah. Um,
4: so <laughs> that also might have happened with some yoga um, um, Uh, yoga traditions that it became more of a believing system or concept but i think that the core of of the yoga practice i mean for me at least when you talk or when everybody else is um talking it's almost the same it's not even becoming a better person but it's um a way or a method of experiencing and and stop to believe but to start knowing from from experiencing something yeah um so yeah, um, and then I was also thinking, um, you were talking about meditation, like um, f- for for having the full human experience or for experiencing what it's like to be a, a full human being, and and uh, I had this conflict in my mind um, with the body, like we we have to, we we get the body when we come into the world, <laughs> we we. Uh, experience being a human being in this body It doesn't matter if it's working well or not but we have a body and um, that's what I found so uh, nice about yoga practice that um, the experience includes the body and in meditation it's it's more it's also the body because you're in it all the time <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that was like a little point of um, confusion that I, I, that I had. Uh, yes, but it resonated very well with me, everything that you said. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Francesca. You said that brilliantly and clearly. I think we all understood exactly what you were saying. Uh, the... That game of telephone that you talked about, whispering in the ear and how it changes from person to person, that didn't just occur in yoga. It occurred in modern Buddhism. There's, there's uh, uh, suttas where the, the Buddha is describing that taking place during the original sangha. And that game of telephone has lasted for 2,600 years and it continues today. There's, there's, there's a great um, enamoration today with developing something and calling it modern buddhist practice and people just they just grasp after it because oh it's something new but it's it's buddhist and it has nothing to do with what the buddha taught and i'm not putting any of those things down but again it was such a brilliant point that game of telephone and how it changes things and it, and it, we end up with something that has nothing to do with the original and yet because because the chain was followed we call it it's all it's all the same thing and there's some of the the most um world renowned teachers say something like this everything resolves in one thing it's all one thing it's all one practice it's all one religion and of course the buddha taught wise discernment to see that the difference in what he taught as opposed to everything else even during his time remember the buddha the buddha studied all the major religions and mastered them all before he realized This is what the Dhamma is. This is the truth of reality. That's significant because it it still is guiding our practice today. And the guidance is in the framework of the Eightfold Path. Um, Does anybody want to... I'm going to go around the room. But if anybody has something they'd like to add, just put your hand up and I'll call you first. Can I
2: just add one quick Please. Because I would just also um, say that the Eightfold, Eightfold Path, in my experience, is... Is a very embodied path. I get my information through the body. I see the arising and the passing. I see clinging. I feel it. I, I, I'm. In, it's a very embodied. You know, it's one of the establishments.
0: Yeah. of Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. The, the the, the sorry. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, I'm not. I've been interrupting you for ten years now. So. You're used to it. Um, the, the, the Buddha's Dhamma is the ultimate body-based practice. It may not seem so at first, because there's no focus on asanas, etc, etc. but the very essence of the Buddha's Dhamma rests in jhana meditation. and every time we, we find that we're distracted by our thoughts or our feelings or our thoughts attached to a feeling, referring to the four foundations of mindfulness, and take a breath, we are uniting the mind and the body. and there is no Dhamma practice without a mind united in its body. It simply cannot be experienced. And what what I'm referring to is being mindfully aware of life as life occurs. And of course, the only way to do that is to unite our mind and our body. The one thing that takes our mind out of our body is a speculative practice, meaning grasping after something that I might become, whether it's doing the perfect asana and it'll make me a better person, or meditating for three hours a day will make me better, or or visualizing myself in a non-physical realm. Those are all non-body-based practices, aren't they? And in fact, it's it's the it's one of the underlying themes of the Buddha's Dhamma to always bring yourself back into your body because it's only there where you can experience your life, which is what the, the, the entire point of the Buddha's Dhamma is, is to experience life as life occurs, a mind united in its body, without taking anything personal. And that's where our great liberation and freedom is. Um, does anybody else... I'm going to go around the room, around the virtual room, but does anybody else have something they'd like to say before we do that? Okay, Meg, I'd like to ask, start with you, and ask you a, a specific question. I do believe you don't, you didn't have a uh, any kind of formal practice before you came to the Dhamma. Is that true?
6: Um, well, I uh, a couple of years ago, I joined a Buddhist group. It's Tibetan Buddhism,
0: mm-hmm. and.
6: Um, then I, as I was studying that, I began to have some questions about it around, um, oh, just some uh, confusion more than anything, because, yeah. you know, I kept wanting to do the meditation, you know, I'm a more experiential person, and I wanted to have an experience with something, so, and, and the people in my group weren't doing the meditation, you know, they were just talking, 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 you yeah. know, and, and so, you know, and then I realized, you know, Then once the COVID hit, we started doing Zoom. So I I got to connect with the greater community. And then they were doing the practices. And then I started realizing, wow, I'm not sure if I really agree with this, you know, (laughs) some of this stuff. Because it was getting into all this stuff around this, um, I don't know, you know, like what what you were like in the the life before and what you're going to do and, how, you know, and it's like, I just want to know what do I do now, and that's how I got connected with you. Mm-hmm. Is I was researching something that I was confused about, and that's then I started to realize, yes, this is it. It's what. How do I apply this to my life? Yep. And this is what the, the Buddha taught, and that's all I wanted to know. Yeah.
0: I, <laughs> because I, I don't
6: know what's going to happen to me when I die. Yep. I
0: don't think any of us really do. Yeah, and so what do you care about it for, really? I mean, why why be distracted? Exactly. Why spend any mental energy? I went through yeah. the same thing. Years and years and years of a devoted Buddhist practice. I took my vows in the lineage of the 16th Karmapa. I, I studied with you know, some pretty important teachers, always leaving frustrated and confused, saying, what's the practical benefit of chanting or bowing or visualizing or all the rest of it, you know, and uh, and there, to me, there wasn't any benefit. To some people, there are. That, that's great. But I wanted to know how to live now. I don't care, you know, about any speculative existence. Uh, and this changed everything. Uh, thank you, Meg. Uh, Julian, how are you? Hello. Um, I'm great, thanks. Good to see uh- you
7: interesting topic interesting evening i um i can't um stop myself from uh thinking that um, some are really focusing or um expecting maybe yoga to be uh, necessarily focused on asana which i personally i don't really feel like it is so i Maybe this is just to prove that I'm clinging to yoga practice as well. <laughs> I like to see this, to see it this way, um, because in my um, opinion or maybe experience, um, I think it all gets to the same as you are teaching. You know, in the end, you just have to, no matter how many asanas you can do or cannot do, in the end, you're going towards a sitting practice and calming the mind and kind of peeling off the shells like an onion of yourself to go deep inside and experience yourself as as well just like in your teachings yeah um so i don't really see on for me for myself why really separate the way of um experience to oneself for now but i i think it's fine i i I enjoy having like a more meditative practice with you and Still, just as you said on um, earlier, just like I know that I don't need to let go of yoga, just clinging to yoga, you
0: know? Yeah, oh, that's it. Uh, thank you, Julian. Your books are on the way, by the way. Uh, uh, Jordan, how are you? Uh,
7: yeah, I'm doing good, thanks. I hope you can hear me over the, I can. the boiler. It's been hard to
8: find a quiet place
5: in the house, I mean like a shared house at the moment. Um um yeah I enjoyed the session. Thanks Jen for your conversation as well. It was really a highlight to hear that we, you know, we don't need to renounce the things we want and the things we crave for just the the craving. That was that really made it more digestible. <laughs> Um, and more realistic and
9: more attainable.
5: And in terms of, of the reading, I, was, I mostly had um, a lot of thought about
8: the right speech, or the right action. Sure, and I
0: don't, I don't mean to interrupt sorry. you. I'm sorry. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do the virtuous yeah. factors again next week because we're not gonna get to it this week. So I hope I hope that's okay. Okay. Yeah, and then we will have the discussion on that. You know, yeah, I sure. I thought this was important enough that we should uh, okay, sure. you know have this class. But thank you for joining, Tom. How are you? All right, so I'll take that. Thanks, Jordan.
5: Was was that? Who did you say?
0: Hello, Tom.
5: Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I um, I'll be very brief, but um, yeah, I think what what Jen was sharing about it's just about the clinging. The attachment, and we all have it, right? Whether it be to yeah. um, a particular. We talked obviously about yoga practice, but but, but I I think um, uh, my work is a big area for clinging because I I I'm I'm quite involved in um, something like sort of social impact related work, right? And so it becomes very much a part of my identity and.
0: Uh, and you know something I guess and in, in a in a sort of a negative way really
5: but I'm sort of proud of, right? And then and then you end up building this identity around that. And then as inevitably happens, um, like my my you know especially with COVID obviously things were completely destroyed. Um, you know my 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 business was destroyed because of COVID really. Uh, and now we're rebuilding a different kind of business, but still related in terms of being a very, you know, sort of purposeful and stuff, but, but as a result, although I still love what I do, you do end up, yeah, just, just clinging to it. And then if things go well, or they go badly. You end up either filling up that ego even more, mm. or suddenly getting very, very frustrated when things don't work out as you would, you would, yeah. would hope that they would. So. You know, I think we all have those things that we identify with, don't we? And and that is one for me. And I do see that it's quite part of it, this this idea of no, of, 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 um, I I don't, the right word is not no self. I, I can't remember how you said it, John, but it's that it's, 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 it, it can freak you out a little bit as well, um, because we build a life around the concept of self and ego and everything. Um, so it can sort of freak you out but there's also so much freedom on the other side of it right when you let go of that identity that you build around yourself you yeah. actually realize hey I can still do what I'm passionate about and I can still try and try and try and have impact or whatever but at the end of the day I don't my identity does not depend on it and
10: yeah.
5: and my sense of um, you know of meaning and, and, and it's not the most important thing in life right the most important thing in life is to understand what it means to be human and to live yes. a Sort of truly authentically alive kind of existence. So uh, yeah, anyway, that's that's what I took from from the discussion, uh, and I definitely saw a relevance, even though I'm not into yoga, I saw a relevance for my
0: own life. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Tommy. Just to, to clarify a point, there, the Buddha never taught that there's no self. He, he the, yeah. that, that, that that's sure, those are the wrong. that's those are practices that develop through the telephone. The Buddha taught, he used the word anatta, but the way he used it is that. It's the views that we're holding of, us, of ourselves that don't constitute a self. That's no self. The Buddha taught that we are human beings. And we're human beings that don't take anything personal. But that doesn't... We, we think that in order for me to describe a self, I have to personalize life. The Buddha taught great liberation and freedom and says, no, that's a wrong view. The right view is that there's nothing personal. But he also lived a human life. And he was very clear about that. They, every day... He got his his no self off his mo- off his cushion and walked into town to get a meal. So he wasn't this, the, the, he wasn't denying the existence of a self. He just didn't. If he got a, a bowl of gruel as opposed to a nice a nice bowl of rice, he didn't take it personal. He bowed and, and got on with his day. It's the only difference, and it's it's the great misunderstanding of modern Buddhism that it teaches annihilation. We're going to get into um, the three marks of existence. I think in two more weeks. Uh, and then on our Tuesday, Saturday class, after we're done with the truth of happiness, we're going to do our vipassana, a structured study of these three marks of existence, and we go in depth into what it means to be uh, um, uh, not taking life personally. Uh, we're going to do something a little bit different on Thursday that I'll, I'll put in a newsletter soon. But uh, thank you, Tom. Hello, Becky. Hi,
9: everyone.
0: Aren't you proud of that girl?
9: I'm very proud of that girl, yes. <laughs> Becky
0: is Jen's mom. I'm mention. very
9: proud of that girl. Um, it's just so nice to be here and to see all of your faces and kind of put faces with the names. Um, I I really don't have a lot to say today. I, I guess I can just say that the thing that attracted me to the Dhamma when I first started, uh, I guess about four years ago now, three years ago, um, was the fact that it it is up to you. It's something that you have to do for yourself and that you can do for yourself. And it's sort of an individual responsibility kind of practice which I found very attractive. And the other yeah. thing is that it is experiential that you really don't know what it means to not take something personal until you've practiced it
0: mm. for I'm a poor. while.
9: And you've, you've realized that you, you can still Enjoy something and love something, and and really want something, but you don't. You don't have to identify with it. You don't have to grab onto it.
0: That's the key. And
9: make it you. And when you when you don't do that, when you realize, really realize that you don't have to do that, it is, as Tom said, very freeing. It's so freeing. You're just like, holy crap! <laughs> I have to do this.
0: <laughs> that's I, liberation.
9: I loved the way that 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 what Tom just said, the way you explained it, and um, so that's that's all I have to say. And nice seeing you all.
0: Thank you, Becky. Um, uh, I, I want to give everybody a chance, but we've gone on a little bit, so please keep it brief. Hello, Josh.
8: Hi, John. Hi, everybody.
0: Good to see you, my friend.
8: Enjoyed the talk today. I must say I have no issue with yoga. In fact, I think (laughs) it may be downright dangerous for someone who's 80
0: years old.
8: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But I do play golf, and, and I practice golf. And until I started... With John, I used to go out and play, and if I played well, it made me feel really good. <laughs> and if I played horrible, I really made me feel bad. And since I've been practicing, I go out and play, and I really don't feel really good. I would be lying if I said I didn't play a little bit. Feel a little bit good when I play well, and a little bit bad when I play bad, but
0: not nearly to the degree I used to. <laughs> And that's liberation too, isn't it? So I'm going to listen to Noble sounds. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Uh, Mark, how are you today? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, John. Um, sorry I joined a little bit late. No problem. Probably, but I won't listen. So, um, yeah, thanks,
10: Jen. I was just caught most of um, what was being said. And, uh, yeah, the first thing in terms of just where I'm at um, – I completely agree with what's being said and, tom that freedom from letting go that thing on the other side because of that analytical mind leading up to this And i think it was, as was mentioned by jen there is this kind of the, the inner conflict now where you're being challenged mm. and whilst i agree it's like i've got these scenarios that i want to stress test this framework with and that which means they're just
0: constant questions like you know yeah how do I make decisions? What's my identity? How do
10: I know what I represent? Okay, if my values are being challenged, do I react? I don't take it personally. So lots of little things. I think I'm not getting lost in that. I just know it's coming up. Um, I suppose on an immediate personal level, not as as good an example as Tom's, but um, on dating apps, um, you I, I I I that's a way of dating at the moment, online dating. Um you put a picture pictures dating app, do you mark? <laughs> <laughs> um but you put pictures on and you you put a description and then I noticed you know how much I will hold on to you know, present myself in my own self described kind of best self and that just creates tension, frankly. Um <laughs> probably in authenticity and you're just trying to hold on to the Best version of self, or you break wind in front of someone, or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it does get me thinking, and I, cause whether it's dating professionally, we have LinkedIn, we have Facebook. Just what's be, what I put out there, and how sensitive I am to the reactions of these adverts of myself in these various forms. Um, A good way to put it. Yeah, it's. And, but but the moment, I don't, I wouldn't say care, but I, I reference this framework, at, just as Tom said, there is just, it's almost like letting steam out of a teapot, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, thanks, it's, it's, it's good stuff.
0: Thank you, Mark, thanks for joining us today. Victoria, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How Notice I you called good? you Victoria, not Victor. Oh,
11: no problem, Victoria <laughs> is actually my full name, so... <laughs> um, I really, really appreciate everyone sharing insights. This is just super, super helpful. I'm just like letting it all sink in. Cause you know, there's like when you're first introduced to like the teachings and the Eightfold Path, you kind of like, you know, you kind of feel like you understand it at a service level, but now mm. that we're going deeper, I can really see the connections to like yeah. different aspects of my life. And I think it was really helpful to, um, yeah, the reminder of like maintaining right view Um, and that it's about the clinging and not necessarily the thing or the practice, that distinction was also very, super helpful. So, and I can see how that applies in all areas of my life, like my job, like I talked about last time. Um, and then I also have, I mean, I also have a number of wholesome, I don't practice yoga, but I have a number of other wholesome practices that I've adopted. And I, I can see the connection there as well. Like, for example, um, I have like a very simple um, gratitude practice where I keep a journal, and I was like, Oh, I could easily see how um, you know I could do that with a right view or wrong view. Like, wrong view yeah. would be like, Oh, I'm grateful for that awesome thing I did today because I'm such a great job worker, <laughs> or something like that. You know, like, so now that we've gotten it's very helpful to um, to keep that in mind, I think. And it's something I'll try to keep in mind, um, yeah, with all with everything that I do. I yeah. try to just observe it and you know. Um, going
0: forward. So, yeah, super helpful. Thank you, Victoria. That A gratitude journal is a great idea as long as you don't take it personal. (laughs) So I'm glad you said that and brought it up. Uh, Henrietta. Hi. Hi, Um, Henrietta.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, Yeah, very interesting um, talk today. Thank you for arranging that. Um, I myself do yoga and I've actually not had this conflict uh, not Good. this time and um but I think it's uh partly because I had previously had that kind of challenge um many years ago because I brought up a um Christian and it was something that came up then so that's when I was like looking back as I actually I understand where these guys are coming from. Yeah. Um but there was something else that you said that I found really interesting which was uh the clinging on uh it was a clinging to the f- fear of things not happening and that's something i've not really quite considered and i haven't quite formed my thoughts about it but it was something that really um struck
0: me thank you so much for joining today henrietta i i I didn't get to michael but i think oh there he is hello michael i thought you signed off hi everybody
8: um very interesting topic this morning um I think we should just abolish yoga altogether.
0: (laughs) So there's no conflict?
8: Uh, Actually, um, I'll say this. No, there's no conflict with yoga, actually. Um, The Dhamma meets us where we are in the present moment, right here, right now. Every one of us is here paying attention presently, if uh, we're sitting back and we're thinking about what we have to do four or five hours from now, then we're not experiencing the here and now, okay? So if we are if we are thinking about uh, what we have to do, again, uh, in a short time from now, again, we are not present. And if we're not present, the mind and the body are not united, okay? mind and uh, we can only be present when the mind and the body are united so in this moment wherein we are present where we are present what are we going to do here if we stay in this moment anything that occurs within this human life that we're living we live we live and respond as life occurs from the eightfold path that's the integrated Eightfold Path, but it's it can't be practiced. The Eightfold Path won't be in place, integrated, uh, if we are not in this present moment. So I want to say that on that, maybe hopefully that'll give perspective. The whole idea about, uh, I've done a very limited amount of uh, yoga in my life, uh, but I have done quite a few uh, exercise programs. And anything that can be done you know, without self-reference, okay, uh, is, is, it's key to not become self-referential in relation to whatever it is that we're doing. It doesn't mean that we're not aware of what we're doing, but for it to take precedence uh, and, uh, and control our thoughts and, and make us and feed our ego or, again, uh, that's, that's the, the wrong view of things. So without self-reference then what are we doing? We are actually doing something physical that we would do in a normal human life. We're not supposed to not live a a normal human life, right? But we want to maintain uh, a distance between uh, or an understanding that self-reference is where we start getting, uh, creating problems where the mind and the body leave, uh, you know, separate. We, We end up being somewhere else and we become... Uh, the ego self arises, and that's where our pain and suffering. We're,
0: we're literally disembodied at that point.
8: Disembodied, oh. disembodied—that's perfect way of putting that. Yeah. So I always like uh, I, I approach things now for again realizing that the Dhamma, again is meets us where we are. Okay, so as we leave here, it'll—it's going to be with us. We—we we can't, you know, just put it off If we put it off then we're not going to be living in the present moment or if we don't if we become self-referential we're not living the dharma that's right so anything that we do uh, going forward no matter what it is we try to develop a dispassion brought on by being non-self referential and i do believe that's what the buddha intended uh, for us to do in this life
0: yeah, thank you, Michael. If we become self-referential, we're not living the Dhamma. That, that brilliantly said. Uh, but when we recognize that we've done that, we take a breath, we bring our mind back in our body, and we we are now practicing the Dhamma. Uh, thank you all again. It was a, just a great class. Thank you, Jen, for your for your presentation. Um, I think this is going to get a little special place on the website. Uh, we're going to continue with our Truth of Happiness Dhamma study next week. We'll we'll do the virtuous factors then and continue. Uh, but again I think this was so important to get to uh, I wish I wish we'd done it sooner uh we'll finish as we oh if those of you that are if you're not getting the newsletter please go on the website and sign up for it because that's where I keep everybody informed about classes and changes etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, please do that we'll finish with meta as we always do and this is the uh the the cornea uh That that, uh, Well, I'll, I'll just read it. These are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. Take a moment to become mindful of your breath and your body. And again, these are the words of the Buddha. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties. And frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Thank you again, Jen. Uh, We'll see you again next Thursday. Peace, everyone.
1: Bye, everybody. If anybody has any questions um, for me directly, my email's on the website.
0: Yeah, Jen's email is on the website under the teacher, so uh, feel free to email her directly. Thank you all.
1: It's great to meet everybody.